When you're expecting, you expect that life will fall in line with what all the experts claim to be true. When the unexpected happens as parents, there's no book, there's not even a manual to follow. It's expected that as parents, you'll know what to do. But what if you don't know? What if you tried, or you rebelled, or you crumbled, or you failed? Then you'll feel right at home at Hospital Brain. Our first episode gives you a sneak peek at the courage of two moms forging their way into parenthood while tossing out the manuals when their babies didn't check the boxes. It will also let you inside a dad's torment when he knew he couldn't meet what was expected of him as a father and a husband as his little girl was tethered to a hospital bed for weeks on end. It was never expected that parents raise their children in a hospital, but it happens. In this episode, we shed light on this unexpected path by sharing Drew and Sarah's story to give you support and provide a little laughter along the way. It never hurts to laugh, right? Hey, this is Leela Viss, and I'm here with good friends Drew and Sarah Collins. And it turns out that Chuck and I have been great friends with them for four years, but we do not know anything about their years before Sela. And so today is all about learning about that story. So Sarah, can you tell us what what was life like before Sela was here with you? So we, Drew and I were married for five years before we got pregnant with Sela. And that was intentional. We just wanted to have, we kind of made that plan from the beginning. We just wanted um, some time for us. And then we lived for just a little bit in Wyoming. We lived for a few years in Minnesota. We lived for six months in Guatemala. And then from Guatemala, we moved to Colorado, where we currently still are. And um, and we planned the pregnancy and got pregnant really quickly. You know, we knew we were ready to have a child and it just kind of happened. We were lucky that it just happened quickly. and. You know, like pregnant, I loved being pregnant, loved it. Um, I really enjoyed, um, it was something that I always been excited about. And, um, you know, because we had planned it, I was all ready and, you know, did everything that I could just to have a, you know, healthy, fun pregnancy. So were you going to Lamaze classes? Were you going to have a midwife come to your home? Were you going to go to the hospital? What, what kind of plans had you made? So I wanted to do a natural birth. I did want I did want to be in the hospital. I didn't want to risk, you know, something going wrong and being at home. Um so we did do classes with a like a natural birth coach. I don't think she was a doula. Like she wasn't going to be in the hospital room with us, but it was, you know, pre-birthing classes just talking about what to expect and all of those things. So I was the original plan was to not um, not get an epidural, to just go natural, and um, yeah. And as far as your pregnancy goes, did it go as expected, like all the books say it should go? It did for quite some time. Yeah, like up until like I, you know, I, I think I didn't. And a lot of women don't, but I didn't have any kind of. Um, 
morning sickness. I mean, I just felt good. And I know a lot of women don't feel good when they're pregnant. So I felt pretty lucky with that, that I just felt good. Um, yeah, Sarah felt good most, yeah. like, almost the entire pregnancy. There, every once in a while, the smell of chicken. Yeah. Raw cooked. <laughs> I mean, raw chicken smells terrible anyway. <laughs> but like chicken made her want to gag. Yeah, but that's but all normal, right? Yeah. Like you have like things you don't want, things you do. And so really the big kind of reality check for us happened at the 20 week ultrasound appointment. Yep. So we went in for kind of the standard, you know, we've done in for other at that point, And I don't know now, cause we haven't had a, you know, we haven't had a baby in almost 12 years now. So I don't know if you get ultrasounds earlier than 20 weeks, but at least for us, we went in for our first ultrasound, which was 20 weeks and you know we were going to find out the sex of the baby and you know give you all the measurements and all that kind of stuff and so we were in the appointment and some people have good poker faces and some people mm -hmm. don't and we could just tell that the the woman who was doing our ultrasound just at one point her face just kind of was like something's not okay um, but they're not allowed to tell you anything because they're not the doctor. And so, you know, she finishes up and and the doctor comes in and tells us that our baby has a hole in her heart, that it's a girl. So we found out it was a girl, which was exciting. It's what we yeah, both we were both, we both kind of hoping for a girl. For a girl. Um, and that she had a hole in her heart uh, between two the ventricles of her heart. And um and they said, they said, you know, at the 20 week ultrasound, it's sizable enough that we can already identify it fairly easily. You yeah. know, there, there are some, some babies, um, as they're developing in utero that you, you don't notice until later. Right. Or af you, even after or, they're born, right. because mm -hmm. they're so small or they're just not big enough to pick up on an ultrasound. Right. But we, in retrospect, we look back and we thought probably the, the ultrasound tech saw that and that's what oh, caused sure. her face to blanch a little bit and go huh right and then the other thing that they saw that is so she had uh, umbilical cords have three vessels um and her umbilical cord had two vessels so you can babies can grow just fine it's just as the pregnancy goes along if you have only two vessels a lot of times the baby kind of gets to a point where it has um trouble like growing further so they can be kind of smaller babies because it's not as Usually, I, I think this is right. There's two vessels going in that carry nutrients, one that kind of carries stuff out. And so it's, it was just a one and one. So it's like less is getting in than should. So that can go along with a whole array of different things. There can be genetic anomalies. There can be birth defects. There can be all sorts of stuff. And they just don't know. And so they offered us, you know, that we at that point, really, all they could do was an amnio, you know, and they're like, we can check for like chromosomal abnormalities or things like that. And we talked through it and we just knew where from the diagnosis that she had and um, that we were going to carry the pregnancy through. And so we didn't want to get an amnio because it just it's more risk to the mom and to the baby. And so we just made that decision that we just wait and see, you know, because they're like, we don't know if there's other stuff going on. This is this is what we can see. This is what we know. And so, you know, it was it was really, I mean, just that feeling. I, I can still feel it when you like 
walk out of an appointment that is like so full of anticipation of like this is you know we're finding out the sex of our baby and and you walk out and think like is is our baby going to survive that's what i was going to ask you is how impactful was that moving forward then mm-hmm. through that pregnancy i bet that I don't know, did it dampen your excitement? It just Yeah, it was well, that first day was that 20 week ultrasound day was it was gut-wrenching. Because there was so much anticipation, so much excitement and build up. And again, Sarah had such a healthy pregnancy, felt good, you know, all of the all of the early appointments, all those things just went beautifully. So then to arrive at the 20 week ultrasound coming home like we were actually we just since we had just gotten back from guatemala we were staying with with my sister and her husband and their family and so even driving back we were just we were shell-shocked because we had so much excitement and then we came home with all of these concerns you know from going from hey we're gonna go find out the sex of the baby and get to see the, the her heartbeat and all this sort of stuff right and then coming, then having to have an appointment with a genetic counselor to say there might be things we'll want to look at so you can determine whether or not you want to terminate this pregnancy. And so that was just, it just flipped everything on its head just at the drop of a hat. So that's really your first point of grief. You had already yeah. suffered major loss because mm-hmm. you anticipate one thing and something else has happened instead. So that probably didn't help through the rest of the pregnancy, I would imagine. And it was hard to bring yourself back up. Well, it's also difficult because we also didn't know what the outcome was. And I remember them saying, like, probably she'll need to have a surgery around three or four months. Um, And babies have this kind of surgery all the time, you know, it's like, and come through it. But there was that under other like there could be other stuff going on that we don't know about. So like, what if the baby has something where she won't survive? Um, and so I th- I think for me the hardest part is like at and at that point you're s- starting to show and so people ask and and like as you go on it's like that kind of fear of like okay I'm getting further and further along but I don't know what's gonna happen and I don't know if she's gonna be okay. And so you're like so excited and I I still just loved pregnancy and was so excited to see her, um, but just so scared because we didn't know what was coming. You were already dealing with hospital brain before the baby baby was born because what you're saying is they kept saying, well, this happens a lot and it should Mm -hmm. be okay. And, but they couldn't give you any answers. Right. And it had never happened for us. Right. Right. Yeah. It was our first pregnancy, first child. You know, we didn't, I don't think we even knew anybody, right? Did we even know anybody who had like uh -uh. a kid who had maybe had some kind of like surgery like this? Not maybe not like a, not that there's any standard surgeries. I don't want to say that, but. Right. No, but as as, as common as it is for a particular, like, like for example, a pediatric cardiologist to do these surgeries. Right. It's common for them. It's not common for. Right. For every family. It's a unique event right. and it's mm-hmm. nothing you've ever experienced before. So, you know, you, so you end up early in your child's life talking with folks about having open heart surgery. Hey, we're going to end up putting your, your baby's heart on a machine that's going to keep the heart working while we do this major repair. And then, 
and then we'll we'll send her out and she should recover just fine. But for us, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like you can appreciate and you respect the fact that there are these surgeons who are so skilled at doing these type of procedures. But again, they do these procedures. They don't necessarily bring the baby home with them, right? right. Unless they've walked through it, you know? And so for us, it was just like as much encouragement and support as we received from our care team for us still it was it was just earth shaking we've been talking about what the definition of hospital brain is mm -hmm. and we don't know what that is yet we're still working on that yeah. but one of the symptoms is clearly fear oh yeah dealing with that fear and yeah. living with that fear mm -hmm. and the of the unknown mm -hmm. is probably one of the hardest things to deal with it really is and you know it's so interesting when you you said you were already living with hospital brain and it just came back to me right now we so when i was pregnant I um, did this, uh, it's like a program through Children's Hospital um, that was, a it was a friend of mine asked me, gathered a bunch of artists together and started this program called Art for Life at Children's Hospital. And there's um, a program within the hospital that kids who have either chronic or ongoing health situations where they're not able to be in a public school um, they're, it's, I think it's uh, junior high and above. It's not elementary, so it's older kids. Um, and they go to school at the hospital um, so that they can have, they can be cared for there and still be able to attend school, but to attend school with other kids who also have, nobody has the same thing. You know, it's a wide array of things going on. But um, <laughs> it just feels so ironic now to me or just like such a crazy um that a crazy thing that that I was doing that while I was pregnant. And so I had been doing this program and we'd work with, uh, they'd kind of divide us up and we'd work with one of the students and create like this big art project. So it was over the course of like months. So I was going to the hospital participating in this program called Art for Life. And this thing would span over the course of months. And in that time is when we got that ultrasound. And so then we were referred to Children's Hospital to get like a another ultrasound where it's like a specialized, um, I forgot what it's called. I'm usually really good with being able to rattle off all the, you know, the hospital terms. But Your hospital brain in action. It mm -hmm. is, yeah. But that one's quite some time ago. So <laughs> echocardiogram is what it is. And so they would basically looking at her heart in utero and so able to just look a lot closer and give a lot more information. And so um, I, I walked into the hospital instead of going to do this program with kids, I walked in because I was the patient uh, and my baby was going to be the patient and it was just so not only bizarre. was she a service provider she was also a client <laughs> <laughs> it was strange yeah so anyway that just it's kind of a random little story but well, it's interesting how we all assume things are going to be a certain way oh yeah and so you're mm. a pregnant mom so you belong to a certain tribe mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then suddenly you get kicked out of that tribe mm -hmm. once you you have issues right? right and so all of your expectations have since changed mm -hmm. and that's so disappointing you lose that identity that you thought you had well and i think that's part of the i think that honestly is an important part of maybe the symptoms or the, the outworkings of having hospital brain is a sense of being displaced. Like you lose mm -hmm. 
you it, whether it's based on assumption or whether or your social network or your the, the family or friend support that you have it, it, it's part of hospital brain is you realize there's a sense in which what i'm going through is different now than most of the people that i know and in some cases right. than anybody else that i know right and so there's a sense of just being it's it's not it's not abandonment in any way but it's a, a sense of being displaced and kind of isolated by the circumstance all of the sudden and that's mm -hmm. i think that's a yeah. big part of of hospital brain is like recognizing that walking through it and and having to sort of figure out now what like where do i go for who are my people now right now that i'm walking through this because we don't at that moment, like Sarah said, we were in that stage of life with so many of our contemporaries who had recently gotten married, you know, in the last few years, who were starting to have families, all that sort of stuff. And so we were kind of trending with a lot of our, a lot of our friends and other family members. All of a sudden, we were on a whole different track. Well, and something similar, which is... Uh Different, but somewhat similar. Is I just remember the book, What to Expect When You're Expecting, <laughs> and What to Expect the First Year. Mm -hmm. And so everything that that book told you was right? wrong. Yeah. <laughs> well, and because uh, the second uh, uh, when when Chase arrived, this dear little baby did not want to sleep, mm -hmm. and so I was crying all the time because my baby didn't want to sleep because he wasn't following the rules of the book. Right. So I had to throw the book out. We're supposed to be on chapter three. Yeah, exactly. And working. my baby was not on chapter three. Yeah, you hold the book up. Hey, yeah. Get with it. I know. I, was, I realize you not can't happening. see and focus yet. Right. But, but that, you know, just mm -hmm. even that little tinge of being mm -hmm. different is so painful. It is. So and isolating. It feels it is. really yeah. isolating. Well, and pregnant women, I mean, they're kind of treated as like public property. Like still <laughs> today, still people will you come touch up and touch. Yeah, yeah. It's like. Where, <laughs> how do people think this is an okay thing to do? And so it, I think you're, I think you're right. Like, I think women are kind of, or pregnant women are kind of treated as like public property and like, you better get this right because, you know, you're carrying another human. <laughs> it's like, you have that own pressure on yourself it that just, I better do this it right. It brought me back to the diaper stage where I remember we were going to try and do cloth diapers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah that it, it happened a little bit and and then that changed really fast You're like nope nope so then we could have bought stock and pampers no huggies oh, i think amazing. it was huggies yeah oh that's amazing mm -hmm. yeah so um, so i think that's i think that's a really good point and i and i felt that too i mean I, in one small example is i was going to like a prenatal yoga class and i remember before that appointment and after that appointment felt very different for me. So, because before it felt like a community that I was a part of, and after I felt alone. And I, and I never said anything. I never told anybody like, "Hey, my baby's gonna need a surgery in the first year of her life." Um, you know, I didn't know anybody super well, but at first I was part of this community where I really felt like, "Oh, this was a cool place to go." And then I just felt alone. You know, and I, I could have done something about that. You know, I could have talked or shared or whatever. But it, but it is that like isolating thing of like I didn't know anybody. Well, and in fairness too, <laughs> you were doing all the work, right? Like you're carrying the child. Yeah. You know, you're having to pay attention to what your body's telling you. Mm -hmm. You're, you know, all that. 
you have to show up to appointments, even if I didn't go to one. Right. <laughs> it's like they don't happen if you're not there. So it's in some sense, it's like, boy, you deserve a lot of credit just for even being able to recognize some of where you were at and some of what was going on because you had a full time job Correct. already right. of of like growing this child. Mm -hmm. But it's also then your full time job. So then what did you do wrong? So that's what's right. interesting is how many eyes look at you wondering, right. okay, what did she yep. do? And then how often did you turn back to yourself and say, oh, what did I do? How did, uh, yep. you know, what happened? Did mm -hmm. you have that experience a lot? Oh my or? gosh. Yes. And I, and I would say, like this, this will be kind of getting ahead of myself, but it, it, the doctors told me even after she was born, like, this isn't your fault. You didn't do anything wrong to cause this. I didn't truly believe that, Leela, until probably six months ago mm. yeah i i really didn't and i and i it, you know people tell me that research would tell me that from what you know we'll get more into that of like what what she was diagnosed with and all of that but i didn't truly believe that because i was like well i'm the one that grew this human clearly i had to have done something wrong that you know that she had a hole in her heart <laughs> we always want to find blame right somewhere. and it, you know and who else is it going to go on, right? Mm -hmm. And I would say that the, <laughs> and I, I think it's going to be a different point for each person where they get to that point of saying, of it, like realizing like, okay, this, this isn't my fault if this is something that they're walking through. But for me specifically, it was being a part of a, a Facebook group of uh, their parents with kids with the same diagnosis as Sayla. And one mom uh, said, you know, there was a conversation happening of like, hey, did you do this when you were pregnant? Um, I am feeling guilty of like, maybe this is what caused it, right? And I mean, there's conversation after conversation like that on this group. Because I think all of us feel that of like, what did I do wrong? And one mom said she was carrying twins and one twin was diagnosed and one was not. And that... That just blows all the numbers out of the water. It like, does. How, how do you figure that then? It really did. Mm -hmm. And and for me, for whatever reason, that was the mm -hmm. moment where I was able to let go and just, and realize like, this isn't my fault. It's not anybody's fault. It's just something that happened. And that's, mm -hmm. that's more than a decade in. Yeah. I mean, she's almost 12. <laughs> yeah. So to care, but to carry that, yeah. that sense of, onus or responsibility for something that every everyone and every journal every peer-reviewed article is saying no there's we d we don't know the cause of this but but there's no there's no blame that, that that we can identify as far as habits of the mother or any of that like there's no blame assigned and yet because i think because of just in part because just the closeness of that relationship mm -hmm. right that Sarah's carried that for so long, and it took actually interacting with folks well, like other took, moms. Yeah, it took a new tribe. You yeah. found a tribe yeah. again, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. After how many years right. of not having one? Mm -hmm. uh, I think the term collective grief is now going to get overused thanks oh, to especially. Uh, <laughs> the COVID-19, uh -huh. but I think we all know what that means mm -hmm. now, and, and we all have something mm -hmm. in common. Right. And once you have something in common, mm -hmm. you have some kind of connection. Right. Mm, that's really, that's a great point. Yeah. 
So, okay. So we kind of skipped ahead. We just, okay, <laughs> so but we need to well, go back. No, well, we're not skipping ahead. Okay. Actually, we're, we're getting to the really good part. Okay. Well, I don't know if it's the good part or the bad part, but. <laughs> so okay. says you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're, the baby's due, what was the due date? The due date was November 15th. Okay. And so did Sayla arrive on November 15th? She did not. As expected. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She, she did. One more chapter. There we go. Yeah. Burned in the fire. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, no, she came on October 15th. Oh, my. <laughs> yes. So I was uh, teaching art classes at the time, and I finished up my very last art class on October 14th. And at this point, um, we were living in Idaho Springs with my mom and her husband. And we were um, living up there, job stuff when we got back from Guatemala didn't quite go as we thought it was going to go. Yeah, what to expect when you're expecting. Uh (laughs) (laughs) And so a job that we thought was going to be full-time was not full-time. And so Mm. we were in this situation where um, we were, you know, Drew was at that, when she was born, he was full-time at another place. So working like a job and a half. Anyway. That's why we were living up in Idaho Springs, where before we were living somewhere else. So, because we needed more space, right? So, my mom and her husband had a big house up there, and so there was extra room, and so that's where we were going to be for the time being. So, I drove up the mountain from Denver uh, to Idaho Springs, which is only about forty-five minutes. It's not long. Um, and I drew, and I and I got home like I know it was late, nine thirty, maybe nine thirty. I remember it was between ten and ten thirty. Uh-huh. You were looking at your reviews. You'd gotten right. your evaluations oh, yes. from the students because Sarah was teaching. It was a community art class through the city of Aurora. Does that sound right? Yeah. And, and so she was. She was had gotten some food. Was sitting at the kitchen table, mm-hmm. and I was right. sitting sitting across from her. And she was looking through her course reviews from the students. Right. We're doing that, and I was sitting in my chair, and all of a sudden I was like, Drew, my water just broke. And he looks at me and he goes, are you serious? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And there's a lot. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, no kidding. So, so I look, I look under the, the kitchen table, like underneath the surface to where, to where Sarah's sitting. And it was no kidding. Like what you see in the movies. Right. Which, which aren't accurate. Right. <laughs> the movies aren't accurate when it comes to, I remember like in the, in the classes, they're like, okay, actually, like, when your water breaks, you might know it. You might not. Like, you might think you peed your pants. You you know, you might not even know. Right. Whereas in the movies, it's like they bring in a separate fire truck. <laughs> right. Or it's like, like a splash. react like, the scene. Well, right? How did that happen? And it's like, no, but for Sarah, that's actually what happened. And in fact, so so her stomach, and we learned this later, mm-hmm. because, because and we'll, we can get yeah. into this in a little bit, but one of of the conditions that Sela had didn't allow her to swallow amniotic fluid in u- utero which is what babies do to process amniotic fluid it's just a part of right yeah that's the that's so the I normal had, thing so i had extra amniotic fluid and, and we knew that we knew i had extra amniotic fluid we just didn't know how much yeah and we didn't we didn't entirely know why right we just but it wasn't that wasn't really on the radar it's just that we knew that she had more fluid than than what was typical Right. Right. So, so she was kind of on the higher end of the spectrum or the, the yeah, the, the spectrum when it comes to like kind of the water weight. So right. she she went, no kidding, <laughs> in just a matter of seconds 
from having all of this extra water weight down to basically the size of like a basketball. Like it was mm. shocking. Yeah, my stomach shrunk like a third, which was horrifyingly scary. Yes. Because that, I mean, nobody ever tells you that's going to happen when your water breaks, yeah, right? Yeah, and water was like cascading off of either side of the chair. Like oh we my. had to get, yeah. like I had to call for Sarah's mom and we had to bring in bath towels to wipe up the floor. Wait a minute. And is this in Idaho? No, it's Idaho not Idaho. Oh, it's not. Yeah, Idaho Springs is not, not in Idaho State. Well, yeah, it's yeah. in Colorado. But it's not Idaho Falls. It's no, Idaho Springs. Idaho Springs. I don't know. I was just thinking Idaho Falls when I was <laughs> imagining you on the kitchen <laughs> kitchen yeah. chair. Wow. Yeah, yeah okay. it was crazy. And I had never even heard of that happening before. So it was, it was like, okay, well, this is happening. And also, what is happening? And I remember my mom. So I need to like get in the shower before we drive down. It's like, obviously, we're going to the hospital like and my mom calls and and I think the midwife the answers was like well are you sure her water broke <laughs> like, I'm in the background with a wet dry vac <laughs> we're sure we're sure yeah. yep. um just a little aside on this podcast you probably figured it out because it's hospital brain but there will be graphic things <laughs> in this podcast. so yeah no thanks um, for the warning yes <laughs> Um, so basically at that point it was so weird. I think like she told them, but I think they just didn't grasp it because they were like, okay, well you can wait a couple hours until you go into active labor. And I was like, no, we're not waiting a couple hours. Like something is not right. And so I got out of the shower, we loaded stuff into the car. My mom's husband, Bill, like flew us down the mountain, <laughs> um, to the hospital and um, at the, then they hooked me up to the monitors, you know, and at that point, like for a while, I was just kind of sitting there and they were monitoring and everything was like, OK, we're just kind of waiting because I wasn't in like super active labor. Like I had a few con like contractions on the way down, but they were not intense and there wasn't a ton of them. So I wasn't in active labor. Um, and we knew where we were going um, while Sarah had partnered with it was like a center for midwifery. Yeah. But it was they were they were housed in University Hospital, University of Colorado Hospital, which is in the same basically on the same side of the street as the Children's Hospital main campus. So we knew where to go. We knew where we were going. But but yeah, it was it was it's a long ride. It oh, was, man. and it's mm. and it's a little bit blurry. So I don't know if Drew can fill in maybe more after this because it's a little more blurry. Like what I remember next is I, I don't really remember how we got from like the kind of waiting not the waiting room but the room where they were first monitoring us into an actual hospital right room. so there was kind of we were in we were in a it's not a triage room but it was yeah. like an intake room that's yeah. what it was it was an intake room so those are smaller rooms and and usually there's just one care provider so there was an intake nurse that came in to be with the two of us and so she started just um checking vitals and kind of going through going through that process Hooking, hooking Sarah up to some monitors and things like that to see how the baby's doing, how Sarah's doing. And I remember in that time, it felt like we were in there maybe for up to a couple of hours. Yeah. And it was when we left that room was at the point, there was a, there was a conversation and the turnaround in the conversation, the gap of the conversation was fairly quick. Uh, the intake nurse said something to the effect of, hey, it seems like there's a little bit of an irregular heartbeat with the baby, so we're going to need to check that. At that point, it just got so fast. It was all of a sudden where it was like, things are not okay. The baby's not okay. And so they were 
putting the internal monitor in at the same time as they were giving me the rundown of like, you've got to sign this paper. We have to do an emergency C-section now. And, and I just remember like, I think at that point is when I went into shock. Yeah. Like there's a lot of things I don't remember. And I know that my body kind of shut down a lot. Like I yep. literally went into shock. I do remember them wheeling me out of the room into the OR Drew had to get dressed, so he wasn't with me at that moment, but mm -hmm. he was going to be behind, and they had oxygen over my face, and I was feel like I felt claustrophobic with the oxygen, like the smell of the plastic and the oxygen. Well, I, I'm just really puzzled. Why did Drew have to get dressed? Oh, <laughs> Right. He had to That's put because, on like scrubs. Because <gasps> oh, yes. okay, yeah. Thanks, when sorry. you described <laughs> what we wanted to be <laughs> right. a, a natural birth, maybe I didn't define what I meant by natural. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> nope, that wasn't it. Okay, <laughs> that wasn't it. Sorry. No, but, no, but he really... had to get like scrubbed up, like because Got we were going it. into the OR, so he had to get like the bunny suit thing, and on. it really was such a rapid succession of events mm -hmm. of. Sarah signing papers. I was signing papers. They're putting Sarah on oxygen. They've already got Sela attached with that terrible lead. Mm -hmm. to, so there, there are monitors all mm -hmm. around. And, and they're saying she's not okay. She's not mm -hmm. okay. They, they'd given Sarah the epidural within just a, a minute. They said, we're going to have to do an emergency C-section. And probably within two minutes after that, they were wheeling Sarah into the operating room while I was getting into scrubs mm -hmm. so that I could at least be there. And so, yeah, I mean, it was just, it, it just happened so quickly. So fast. And then, so getting in there and, you know, they set up the sheet that's like in front of you so you can't see what's going on. So I had the epidural, so I was like numb from the waist down. And um, the, it was so weird. I could feel, like I couldn't feel pain, but I felt pressure and like they were moving fast and like my body was like moving around on the bed because they were like yanking me open yeah and <laughs> it was bizarre and i remember um standing so i was standing by sarah's head and and so there was the sheet but I, so i didn't see much of what was happening um on the other side of the sheet but sarah's right like they don't mess around when it's an emergency c-section i mean they were you could tell just by the by the by the i could tell just by how their bodies were moving the surgeons that they were making an incision and they were like like forcefully opening her body and so and sarah you could you could see that yeah sarah was like move moving because of how forcefully they had to work I would think that would have been on your no list as well, watching that. <laughs> right. Yeah, on my yes list was was yeah. my version of natural yeah. <laughs> natural birth. On the no list was everything that we were experiencing at that at that moment. I mean, it was it was we almost I remember feeling terrified, but almost like as a as a side emotion, it's almost like I could observe it as well. Even though I felt it, I felt it in my body. And, and even to this day where I feel, um, even growing up, where I feel stress is right at the top of my chest and kind of in my throat. That's where it kind of lives for me. For some folks, they feel it in their stomach or, or their hands or their feet or whatever. For me, it's right up here. And even as we talk through this, I feel it. Oh, I feel it too. Mm -hmm. Because, mm -hmm. it, it was, I mean, it was just, it was so traumatic. 
And and Sarah, I don't know if you remember then. Okay, so so once Sayla was delivered, mm-hmm. we were able to cut the cord. Did you do that? I did that. I didn't even know that. <laughs> and and then and then they held like this. See, and this is what's so crazy about hospital brain, mm-hmm. right? Is that there's so much of the experience that you have and that you internalize, but don't necessarily like you don't I, like I didn't I didn't realize Sarah. Yeah, I had no idea you mm-hmm. cut the cord. like she's yeah. discovering today yeah. twelve year almost twelve years in. Wait, so did they like put her on the other side of the? Or did you see me open? They, they did. No, they brought they 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 brought kind of around. brought her around a little bit. I cut okay. the umbilical cord. Okay. And then, do you remember you got to hold her for yeah, just, just like two seconds? Go ahead and talk about that, though. I mean, it's very foggy. I just remember they brought her over. I got to see her, and she was beautiful. I got to just like basically they kind of just laid her by my face for I don't know. Five it seconds? wasn't long. No, it, mean, it was. Like, I mean, it wasn't even a minute. It was a matter no, of seconds. It was seconds because. She, because they had to check her out and yep. and she wasn't doing real well. So a lot of things are pretty, I have in and out after this because I, I yep. think they also, I mean, I was, I, I was literally in shock. Uh, my body at this point was like, I was actually like shaking um, on, the, and so they like wrapped me up like a mummy um, and they, they checked her out her and she was doing okay, but they took her right down to the, to the NICU. Yes, at, um, at university. So right. What's interesting uh-huh. is now it all shifted from attention to you now to yeah. Drew because Drew, you're on your own, right? You got now yeah. it's up to you to make this all happen, right? Yeah, I remember. Um, Did you go with her at first? Like, I don't even remember. Yes, what, what, so what, what ended up happening was they knew that they needed to get you to a recovery room. And so they started preparing Sarah for that to get her to a recovery room. And then um, I don't remember who, somebody had to have led me down to where Sayla was. So, and they started doing the, um, what is the, what's the, like the, it's not vital check. Oh, it's what's like the, an APGAR thing mm-hmm. where they mm-hmm. do. Yeah, where they do, they, mm-hmm. they, you know, they check the, you know, they yeah. cap refill. And, cap refill mm-hmm. and they, you know, listen to her heart and they, all those kinds of things, right? And it was at that point then, like as I, as I went down into the NICU where they were evaluating Sayla, um, that, that they started identifying that there were more things that they hadn't seen before in any of the ultrasounds that were, that were going to be issues. One of those things that they noticed fairly quickly was that she wasn't able to swallow. And so they said, we're going to have to figure this out really fast and um so i can't remember what it was mri or something that they did or or just x-rays or something and they identified that um she had what's the condition it's called a trachea esophageal fistula a tef yeah yeah which which basically means that so so this is like moments really after after birth that we realize that her esophagus started going down from her mouth, but then just closed in a pouch. So essentially, it was kind of dangling internally, and also kind of connected to her trachea as well, right? Well, from the from from her stomach, oh. it came up, but connected to her trachea to her windpipe. So it was basically kind of like this dangling pouch from her mouth above, and then and then a, a, a misconnect um, from underneath, and so 
So they said, we, we have to repair this almost immediately. Like so today. And this was that she was born at 3.03 in the morning. So yeah, let's just go through the timeline here. So from you driving down to the mountain and, like at 10 until yeah, you so just water found out, at 10 yes, and you find out on your own because she's in another room, mm-hmm. right. what's going on. Yes. So another condition, symptom of hospital brain is just spinning, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Like you can't find, there's no, there's you no can't settle, footing. right? Especially in the onset of the trauma. Right. And then the yeah. other thing is that everyone is working, yeah. right? And yes. th- they're working very hard on your behalf, but they could really care less about your feelings, right? Because they, they, right. can't, they do not have time. Yeah. Right. They right. do not have time for you. Because the circumstance right. is so emergent yeah. that really what they need is they need you to okay all of these things that are going to happen, none of which as a, as a brand new father of, of, of all four hours... That, uh, do I have any context for? I'm completely um, out of my league as far as what they're saying. And, and they're doing their best, right, to say, hey, here's what we need to do. Um, and what they, I remember them coming and coming to me, the surgeon, and the surgeon said, said uh, what we're going to need to do is we're going to need to open her up under her right arm, kind of like uh, kind of under the armpit. We're going to need to go in and attach her esophagus to itself and i'm thinking our baby was just born by emergency c-section she's only four and a half pounds four and a half pounds and a surgeon is going to go in and stitch her esophagus together and i i I thought how how big around can her esophagus be if she's Mm -hmm. four and a half pounds in total it had to be just the tiniest little tube and a surgeon was going to go in and repair that at eight hours old. I mean, it was just absolutely terrifying. So I'm signing well, all in these- in a different hospital. Too. Exactly. Did the surgeon come talk to you at that hospital or was that after you were transferred over? No, the initial care team said, we need to get her to Children's okay. mm-hmm. for surgery. Mm-hmm. And so she was put in one of those, I mean, you've seen them before. It's kind of like a life flight incubator. Mm-hmm. So it's, I mean, it's very strange. I did like the closest thing I could relate it to in the moment was- was seeing was watching ET as a kid, mm, yeah. and and the like the just the big incubator thing that ET was in, and all of a sudden, my newborn who showed up a month early, is in one of those things, being transported, and I have to go with her in, literally across the parking lot to Children's, and leave Sarah to recover. I don't know who's you know, and I know that. That Sarah's mom and 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 dad were there, but it was like, I have to just leave my wife, who just had surgery, who just had this, and and who's traumatized. Leave her shaking on the bed. Go with our newborn in an ambulance in this incubator thing to to have another surgery. So I would say another condition symptom of hospital brain is leaving checking your emotions at the door like there is no room for emotion yep. right you have yep. to just do what you you're told to, and you have go to swallow it and move yeah. through it because yeah. you can't i don't think you can even survive it any other way in no. the moment and i don't i don't know how to i don't know like i wouldn't i wouldn't look down upon any parent that would break down in that moment mm-hmm. right like, We've certainly had our like. There <laughs> is, there's no, there's, 
that you don't know how you're going to respond right. until you're actually in the moment. You know, and I, 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 I've seen at times that, you know, in particular, sometimes world leaders and things like that will say, well, this is how I would have acted. Bullshit. You can't I mean, know. what I meant yeah. to say was, <laughs> you don't know until you are you actually yeah. face the situation. And so I, I, I put no blame on folks, on parents or guardians who would just lose it at any point in the mm -hmm. process. The way it worked out for me, somehow I was able to, to experience the fear, but also be present and, and kind of have clarity in the moment. Um, now a lot of it's fuzzy, mm -hmm. but in the moment I rem I remember being able to, at least to a certain point or a certain time, amount of time just to be present. I just knew I was like, Hey, whatever's going on, I have to do whatever is needed to make sure that this baby is okay. So if it's signing papers or if it's asking a question or if it's whatever it is, you know, and, and, and so I was so appreciative of the care team. Because they really, in a, there was a real sense in which they kind of took me by the hand and said, here's what we need to do next. Good mm -hmm. thing they're pros. Mm -hmm. Because parents and guardians, come on. Like, no one can prepare you for that. I think that's what I was pointing to, too, is that they have to be professional. Mm -hmm. So they are not going to address your emotions, yes. right? They cannot afford to do that. Right. They need they you strong. Right. They do not have time. Mm -hmm. They need you to do what you need to do. Well, and what they recognize is, hey, if a parent or guardian breaks down, we have, we, we have to assign someone to take that parent or guardian and, and care for them. Not, and not because it's a bad thing, but because this situation is emergent. And we have to have all eyes on this. So it's almost like, hey, so we need, now we need, we need to assign a team member almost to be ready to go if, if mom or dad or you know, grandma or grandpa or aunt or uncle um, kind of loses it. Well, I think that is why we suffer from hospital brain is because we're forced to compartmentalize and detach, yep. right? Yeah. And, and then that, that's what causes that fog is, mm -hmm. okay, how am I supposed to feel now? Can right. I be sad now? Oh, no, I can't. Right, I because be there's still stuff right? to come, but you've already experienced so much, but you can't process through it because you're in the middle of it. Yeah, yeah. so we've nearly, uh, we've nearly gotten through day one. <laughs> uh, not even. <laughs> we haven't even. Not even. We have not gotten through surgery. <laughs> yeah, I think, like... we're, I think we're still, uh, we're still haven't gotten to noon oh, of, of day one. But mm -hmm. I, I wonder if this is maybe a good stopping point for now that we can we can come back and revisit and kind of keep the story going in in what would be part two of of just uh, our backstory and and uh, the birth story. She makes it, by the way. Oh, good. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler yeah. alert. Spoiler. Spoiler. <laughs> she's and almost she's, twelve. Yeah. She's phenomenal. She's incredible. Uh, no kidding. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. She's fantastic. But um, despite her parents. <laughs> that's right Oops, sorry in, in spite of what she's grown up with yeah i know yep she happens to be brilliant and beautiful mm -hmm. um all bias aside yeah <laughs> um but this has been good i didn't realize like there were details i know it's that so have been, weird we've talked through this stuff uh -huh. but like like we've gone to couples counseling <laughs> and talked through this yeah. stuff yeah you know what i mean like to have to have a professional walk with us through to, some of the experience yeah, for and to remember and, and to yeah. try and find some healing and, and all of that. 
But even now, there are things that we're like, wait, what? <laughs> I keep going back to the kitchen and... Isn't that insane? That is really weird. Yeah. That's, that's bizarre. Mm-hmm. It yeah. was really bizarre. Well... <laughs> There you go, part one. Part one. In part two, we'll talk more about day one, what was going on, what, and, and the next few days probably, what was mm-hmm. happening as Sarah was recovering, essentially at one block away, but just a, a short walk, but one block away for the next few days, and what it was like then um, at Children's Hospital for me with Sela. Stay tuned for the next episode when Drew and Sarah continue their story of the unexpected turn of events that delivered their beautiful daughter, Sayla, into their arms and forever changed their expectations of parenthood. And please leave a kind review here at the podcast and then find us online at hospitalbrain.com, Facebook, and Instagram so we can stay connected. We look forward to having you join us next time.